am your host, Jay Poole, and this is Potstirer Podcast. Welcome to Potstirer Podcast, where politics, religion, and history collide, and it's not always polite. Today, I'm joined by my husband, Chuckles. Hi. And we're going to wrap up 2019 by discussing the top five most downloaded episodes of the year. And we'll talk a little bit about what we can expect from U.S. politics, especially in the presidential election in 2020. So first, let's count down the top five most listened to episodes of Potstir Podcast in 2019. Five. Episode 54, Abortion Revisited, The Right to Consent, released in June of 2019. While many evangelical Protestants, Roman Catholics, and other conservative Christians argue that their faith leads them to an anti-abortion stance, it seems that such a view isn't supported by scripture. The Bible does talk about the fetus and about abortion. The fetus has value, but is not equal to born, breathing life. Exodus 21 orders that a fine be levied if a pregnant woman is made to miscarry as the result of an attack, but that the death penalty be prescribed if the woman is killed. Numbers 5 outlines a procedure that amounts to abortion in the case of suspected adultery, which, by the way, is not viewed as a valid reason to abort a fetus by pretty much anyone in the anti-abortion movement. And in many places, including the creation stories in the book of Genesis, the Bible speaks to life beginning at first breath, not at conception. This episode was, and, and I think that this will be a sort of a running theme throughout most of the episodes that were the top downloaded, is that a lot of them came from sort of a personal place and it was an opportunity to share with everyone sort of where I was coming from in regards to this issue. With abortion in particular, like I talked about abortion the year before and I had a certain view about it, but then over time I had really thought through even more about how I felt about the abortion issue. And in particular, this was surrounding the issue of fetal personhood and the difference between saying, okay, well, this is a human versus this is a person. So this was a point in time when I moved towards more of the a fetus, you know, okay, they're a human, but I wouldn't say that for the sake of drafting laws that would say make women into human incubators, that a fetus should be legally considered a person. I mean, I thought that you came across as very passionate uh, the whole episode and like you were really thoughtful in, in changing your opinion on things. I, just, I, I like the way, the way that you described your, your own battles with this, your own battles, you know, with how you changed your opinion and, and how you came up with all that, you know, and changing your, your thoughts. You know, how, how you went over the infant and maternal uh, mortality in the U.S. and, and how it affects different races and, and everything. Yeah, I think that was one of the big 
things about with that episode is, especially when talking about life, I think we have to kind of go more in depth than just, oh, well, we want to save the unborn and this, any other. When it's like, okay, well, there are women who are carrying these, who are carrying these fetuses. And it's not just some walk in the park for most women to have a baby. Like it takes a, a physical toll, not to mention an emotional toll on their well-being. And so it's not, it's, it's not just some flippant decision. That, you know, and, and I, I didn't realize just, just how, how bad the, the mortality rates were, particularly for black women. Mm-hmm. So that, that was pretty mind-blowing in itself, too. Kind of scary to think about, especially when people talk about how I mean, the United States being a post-industrialized country, it's an advanced Western society, yet we have these mortality rates, especially for Black women, that really could use a lot of work. Oh, for sure. Four. Episode 50, End of Empire which was released in April. To be honest, I think we're on a course where it's almost inevitable we're no longer going to be the empire we once were. But I don't think doom and gloom is the only possibility. Some of you guys might remember these books called Choose Your Own Adventure. If you're not familiar, these were kids' books that would give you choices on how you want the story to progress. And based on your choices, the novel will progress and eventually end in different ways. So it'd be something like, say, Paula is walking through a forest and comes across a cave. Does she walk into a cave or continue on the path? Cave, page 400. Path, page 462. And let's say you choose the cave and turn to page 400. And it says, Paula enters a cave and there's some food. And she meets a mouse named Steve, etc. And there might be more choices presented as you continue reading on. But if you choose the path and turn to page 462, it might say, Paula continued on the path, and as she rounded a corner, a chupacabra leapt out of the bushes and ate her. The end. In a sense, we're somewhere in the Choose Your Own Adventure book. For all we know, the 2016 presidential election could be the choice that has already set in motion our rounding the bend to death by mythical coyote but we might still have a chance. Not necessarily at propping up the empire, because I don't know if that's really a worthy goal anyway. But we have a chance at coming out of this as a viable democracy and a healthier society. And that possibility is worth fighting for. I specifically was talking about, this was around the time that that the Mueller report was was released to the Department of Justice and Attorney General William Barr. He had put out a letter that summarized the report. My whole thought in terms of getting into this episode was, first of all, I wanted to talk a little bit about who Attorney General Barr actually is, where he's coming from, and what his role truly is in terms of the Trump administration. But then I also wanted to get into in this one and see, so this one I had talked about around Contra, Barr's role in the Reagan administration. But then I also wanted to get into in this, just in general, the issue of 
kind of living in a post-truth society. And like that's sort of another theme that runs through some of these episodes is just this idea that the truth matters and that in this polarized society, there's like competing narratives. But even though we can have different opinions about things, there are also such things as facts. And that's something that sometimes gets lost. And we all know how much facts and truth really matter in politics. But that's the thing. They really should. And I think that the fact that we're getting away from that is why we're having the problems that, that we're having. I don't think that spells good things for our society moving forward. Well, no, definitely not. But you know, I like the fact that uh, that you delve so far into William Barr's history and uh, and how troublesome he's been over the years. And I like going through a lot of the history of some of these people because I think that it helps to know who we're dealing with, who these people really are. Not to say that people can't change, but at the same time, most of the time people don't. I think it's very instructive in terms of knowing what to expect going forward. And I think ever since that episode, I think we've seen even more of that in terms of Barr refusing to testify in front of the House of Representatives, in terms of some of the other things he's doing as far as helping Trump with keeping some, you know, keeping information under wraps um, regarding the Ukraine issue and, you know, some of the stuff that he is, that he's recently been impeached for. A lot of that has borne out over time, even after that episode was released. It'll be really interesting to see just how everything plays out in the end, though. Yeah, it will be. Definitely. Three. Episode 48, Christian and Affirming, Part 1, Sexual Orientation. First released in March of 2019. At the end of the day, the question for Christians should be, does non-affirming doctrine produce good fruit or bad fruit? Placing undue burdens on people due to their sexual orientation, tormenting people and contributing to depression and suicide, dividing families, tearing apart familial relationships, friendships, and community bonds, all over doctrine. Doctrine that is on very shaky biblical ground at best. People hold on to what they consider to be tradition because it's what we know. But some traditions yield bad fruit and are worth letting go because people matter so much more. This is part one of a two-part series. This year, I really got more into doing these multi-part series on issues because there are certain issues that I think it's really hard to wrap up in you know, in a 45-minute podcast. I wanted to get into LGBTQ issues in particular because it's something that I've evolved about over the last several years. I wanted to give a perspective that got into some of the hangups that a lot of Christians have with becoming affirming of people who are LGBTQ and um, like their orientation and their identity. And so like this particular episode focused on sexual orientation and 
getting into some of um, what are called the clobber verses. And these are passages in the Bible that have been used to say that LGBTQ people are living in sin and that that their orientation shouldn't be approved of and have been used to oppress people who are gay, lesbian, bisexual people. I was glad to be able to really kind of get into these issues, get into why some of the passages that have been used have been other ways to look at those passages. The Bible is not as clear cut as just like, oh, well, the Bible is against homosexual relationships or the Bible is against different sexual orientations. At the same time, I mean, uh, Jesus always liked to say to love everyone. Mm-hmm. And, okay. and and this behavior or this way of treating the LGBTQ community is the antithesis of that. And I would definitely agree with that. Having been a part of the evangelical community, a lot of times that tends to be rationalized as, well, we do love them, but we feel that what they're doing is sinful and we can't endorse sin. And that's kind of why I wanted to go about it this way, because it's important to kind of push back on that, because the Bible is not so clear cut as to say that being gay is a sin or being in a homosexual relationship is a sin. Kind of going back to the history part, you have to look at things in a historical lens within the context of those times. A lot of times people will look at um, what's written in generations past or in times past that were written for different societies, fundamentally different societies with different conditions, and then put that onto our society and say that those things are equivalent and they aren't necessarily. I just think that the Christian community in general needs to learn to be a little more accepting of the LGBTQ community and realize that in, in the end, there are, we're all God's children. I agree. I agree. And that will be the smartest thought that I have this whole time. I'm sure you'll have more smart thoughts. That and antithesis will be the biggest word I use. Two. Episode 53, Evangelical Gaslighting, May of 2019. Right-wing extremist Christianity enables white supremacy, radicalizing of young white men, and terrorism. And right-wing extremist Christianity is the driving force behind a white supremacist, misogynistic demagogue, one of the worst presidents our country has seen in generations. They are willing to set the country ablaze to own the libs, and they want to destroy America because they think they'll be raptured from the worst of it. There's a lot of demonization of extremist Islam in the U.S., not only for its ties to terrorism, but its subjugation of women. Is extremist Islam problematic? Of course. But instead of worrying about your friendly Muslim neighbor instituting Sharia, which, by the way, using Sharia as a synonym for radical extremist Islamic law is a bit of a misnomer, our liberty is under its greatest threat by those who just blend in here in the good old USA. Religion, color, and all. Our good old boys and girls next door are screwing up the great experiment for the rest of us. So you said that this was the one that stuck out to you. 
I really enjoy the the way that you that you talked about the author that passed and just how how passionate you sounded and how it sounded really sounded like she affected you very deeply. When I had recorded this, this was not super long after the death of Rachel Held Evans. She wrote a number of books about Christianity and came from a a progressive point of view. Her writing was just really thoughtful and helpful because like, she was pushing back against evangelicalism, yet she still was able to preserve her faith. And I really admired that in the evangelical community, in the progressive Christian community. I've seen this a lot like on, on Twitter, on Facebook, that a lot of people were deeply touched by her writings and her speeches and, you know, her touching people's lives. And it was a huge loss when she died. The way that she did affect people, it allows her spirit to live on in the lives of other people. I think that that's an amazing legacy. I tied that whole thing in with this episode because I wanted to also chronicle my own background in evangelicalism and one of the things that I really want to get into and I got into with this episode was the idea of thinking for yourself and how being sort of an intellectual kind of person, but then being evangelicalism, there was a lot of tension there between my wanting to think through things and look at a diversity of opinions and to dig deeper into why people believe what they believe and why this is right or this is wrong or whatever the case might be, pushing back against the the whole idea of like, oh, well, you should listen to your pastor or you should listen to the church leaders and their interpretation of, say, what the Bible says or doctrine or theology. Having a lot of tension with that over time And just through that, seeing how in evangelicalism, there tends to be a lot of gaslighting, a lot of telling people what you're seeing isn't real. Believe what I say, believe my interpretation and anything kind of outside of that, that's of the world or that's demonic. And that's so kind of demonizing any counter arguments and counter voices instead of really kind of thinking things through for yourself. That's how it is with a lot of things, though. People just trying to tell you what you should think instead of saying you should think on your own. I, I think I think that's just how the world works today. I do think that there are people who try to think for themselves and encourage people to think for themselves. You know, I do talk a lot about evangelicalism because that's my background. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, I think you're definitely right in that you do see that with a lot of different belief systems. In a lot of different philosophies where there's sort of the us versus them, this is our reality, and anything outside of that is alternative facts, or it's not real, or it's it's the enemy. And it's really, I think, in general, it's a dangerous way to think. It, it definitely is. So finally, we are at the number one most downloaded episode of 2019. One. Episode 45, Christian Ed in America. 
released in January of 2019. In evangelical Christianity, we are not facing an innocuous, compassionate institution that just wants to spread God's love. Evangelicalism, by and large, has become a movement, a radical cult in the United States that was built on a foundation of racism, sexism, and other forms of prejudice and bigotry. And due to that foundation and the fuel of authoritarianism and control, it's eating our society alive from the inside out. American evangelicalism tends to center the powerful and the privileged and lives out the praise of authority figures, the supremacy of law and order, the lifting up of empire, the focus on self, while claiming to be the only true representatives of a religion that, at its core, centers the poor, the oppressed, and people in need. While following the Bible literally, word for word translated, does require some degree of cognitive dissonance, there are consistent threads within the Bible. Love for humanity, justice meted out towards the wicked, mercy for sinners, compassion for the poor and marginalized, and accountability for leadership, no strings attached. Yet, this is a far cry from conservative evangelicalism in America, which seeks domination and lacks respect and empathy for any individual or group who is unlike themselves. These are the institutions that claim to care about life, but only care about fetuses, despite the Bible suggesting in several passages that life begins at birth. Whereas when it comes to those who draw breath, it's a different story for them. Rich white teenage boys who behaved badly while gallivanting as anti-abortion activists are somehow more deserving of compassion, childhood, and dignity than the mostly Latino refugee children who are languishing in cages and left vulnerable to abuse and death from disease, or transgender teens being driven to take their own lives by religious communities that shun them and deny their existence, or young black boys like Trayvon Martin and Tamir Rice who were snuffed out but vilified in the media and popular culture as thugs who didn't get the benefit of being viewed as the children they were. No matter how much they want to hide behind law and order and moral values or other idols they have built up to justify their prejudices, bigotry, irrational fears, and sheer greed, we see you. In this episode, I was able to talk a bit about my background in terms of Christian education, but then, and and it kind of also gets into the whole sort of started to get into a little bit of the gaslighting aspect in terms of, oh, well, you shouldn't criticize Christian schools. Usually when we talk about schools that are labeled Christian schools, these are generally evangelical Christian schools. A lot of these schools tend to have their own curriculum that's very, well, very religious, obviously, but these schools tend to have a curriculum based on authoritarianism creationism, masquerading as science, and revisionist history that is very Eurocentric and based in myths such as lost cause mythology that is not based in objective truth and accurate facts. Essentially, it's indoctrination pretending to be education. It also can be because of it being so, so closed off and not having a lot of accountability. There's extremist ideology and sometimes even abusive behavior in these schools. Around this time, 
this was where hashtag exposed Christian schools was a big thing. And um, that was a hashtag on Twitter that was started by noted evangelical Chrissy Stroop. She gave me a lot of props on this episode and amplified it. And, you know, I want to, you know, definitely give her a shout out because this was because that was just amazing. That meant a lot to me. I'm sure that it helped to get that in uh, more people's hands and more people listening to it. That was just really awesome. I, I think that is. That's really cool. Uh, double shout out to her. And I, mm-hmm. I, I have to say that uh, your your personal stories from uh, your experiences in grade school were, were heartbreaking. And that was sort of a thread throughout most of these top episodes. And this one was no different that it was personal. I tend to talk a lot about facts and figures and things, but I think that the ones that people tended to resonate with the most were the ones where I share some of my personal experiences and some of those experiences were really, were really difficult, but I shared them hoping that people would get something out of that and to also feel empowered and to hold space for others to share their experiences. And actually speaking of that, there's a book that's come out recently called Empty the Pews that Chrissy wrote along with another author, Lauren O'Neill. It's essentially an anthology of stories from people from different walks of life who share their experiences in evangelical religion and evangelical Christianity and how they were able to step away from that. I'm still reading through some of the stories. So far, it's amazing. I definitely would say like to check that out. It sounds very interesting. So just in general, what were some key takeaways that you got from these episodes and maybe in general, the content over the past year? I think that that everything has been uh, very consistent. It's been full of lots of facts. uh, And I've learned a lot over the past year from from these episodes. Of all the episodes I put out this year, what, what would you say was your favorite? I'd say probably the the Martin Luther King episodes. I learned a lot, uh, like a lot more than I had ever that I had learned about him through grade school. Because in grade school, the the most that people learn about is the "I Have a Dream" speech and then the assassination, and that's about it. But I know that your episodes really delve really deep into everything, and I learned a lot more from those. I definitely enjoyed doing those. I think as far as the ones that I enjoyed researching and putting out the most. I mean, it's really hard to pick one or whatever, but I have enjoyed really taking the plunge into some of these multi-part episodes. I really enjoyed doing the Martin Luther King episodes a lot just because the life of Dr. King is a lot more than what society tends to portray. And a lot of times his memory is sort of warped and weaponized against Black people trying to advocate for our own interests or our own equality. I really, like, I enjoyed doing that a lot. And I also really enjoyed doing the war on drugs episodes. Like, I enjoyed the America's Drug War episodes a lot. That was really a big bite, you know, that I took. I wasn't able to, say, cover everything. But it was great to be able to take some time to go through different stages of the drug war in the United States and get into some of the stories 
I think probably the one that struck me a lot was Billie Holiday. I've always enjoyed her music, but I didn't, until I really started researching, I didn't know how to the degree that the drug war itself affected her career and her life. That whole series of episodes was very, very fascinating. Remembering, you know, my my experiences with D.A.R.E. and all that. I totally hear you. There's a lot about the drug war episodes that was just really neat to research and discuss. Before we continue with our thoughts about 2020, let's talk about another awesome couple podcasting right now. Potster Podcast is part of the Flying Machine Network, but another wonderful podcast on Flying Machine that you should check out is Stranger Still. They're always answering questions we never think to ask. They're normally hosted by Nick and John, but John is out of commission for a bit, so Nick's wife Shelby has been filling in for him. Nick and Shelby have a fun dynamic, and they recently came out with an episode on five Christmas cryptids. Well, five, and then some. It was a great episode. They talked about Krampus, and then they talked about some others that I wasn't aware of before. So it's really, it's really enjoyable. I really liked it. They're on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher, or go to strangerstillshow.com to check them out. And for all the shows of Flying Machine, go to flymachine.network slash shows. What do you think is going to happen in 2020? The way that I see it right now is that Donald Trump is going to be uh, reelected without much issue at all, without much opposition. Right. The Democrats have, they're, t- they're too wide open. They've got too many candidates at this point, too many people being pulled uh, to one candidate or another. And no matter what, someone's going to be hurt. Their candidate didn't make it. So it's going to be the same as 2016 that. These people are either they're either going to vote independent or they're not going to vote at all. And Donald Trump is going to win. No problem. I'm going to kind of unpack a little bit my thoughts on the election. Who do you think the Democrats will end up nominating? I think it's going to be either Joe Biden or uh, Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, I'm thinking that, too. I'm thinking that it's probably going to end up being Joe Biden just because I think out of all of them, he tends to have the most sort of sort of widespread support in terms of the establishment and Black Americans. Right now, of the people that are running, I believe that Biden is out of like the Black American voting bloc for the Democratic Party. They're leaning more towards Biden right now. And so I think because of that, I mean, you know, even despite some of his issues, I mean, personally, I'm not a huge fan. I'd personally would rather see Elizabeth Warren. I miss Kamala Harris being in the in the running. I like Julian Castro, but by the time this comes out, he might have already dropped out. I have no idea, you know. But um, so I mean, I'm definitely I'm more progressive, but I do recognize that as far as a voting block, Black Americans aren't always like progressive on everything, and so you know a lot of them are supporting Biden right now. So I think that because of that and just because of his establishment support and support among centrists, I think that he'll get the nomination. But I think that there will be some tension between that more centrist wing of the party and the more progressive wing of the party that might want to see either Elizabeth Warren or especially like Bernie Sanders. 
whoever gets nominated, it may keep certain people home. I hope that doesn't happen, but it could happen. Now, as far as Donald Trump, I have mentioned in the past, and I think I even mentioned it last year, if Donald Trump made it to 2020, still in office, that he would be reelected. And I still feel the same way. But I think the question is at this point, so he's been impeached by the House of Representatives, which means that there have been articles of impeachment, essentially indictments against the president. Eventually, once Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi allows it, then those will go to the Senate and the Senate can choose to acquit or convict. A president has never been removed from office through this process. And I don't think that Trump will be the first either. That's one thing I did want to kind of talk about. Will Donald Trump make it to November 2020 still president? Or could he be removed from office? Or could he resign? One, there's no way he resigns. His ego is far too big for that. I I don't think there's much chance of him being uh, removed from office because of the of the Republican majority that that have already said they're they're not even going to try. If anything, I think that this is it's going to make more people vote for him. I definitely don't think he's going to be removed by the Senate. Mitch McConnell, who's the majority leader, and then Lindsey Graham and a number of other Republicans have pretty much said that they're like like you said that they're not even going to bother with a fair trial they're just going to coordinate with the white house which is not the way you're supposed to do it or the way that the founders intended for this process to go but it is what it is so i think that unless there's something in the works or unless something happens that we're not aware of right now i don't see him actually being removed from office even without those issues, there is is very difficult to remove a sitting president from office, and it's never been done. Even Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton dealt with a Senate that was less willing to work with him, and yet he couldn't be removed. And part of it, too, is because when the Senate conducts their trial, for them to vote to remove him, it's not by a simple majority. It's by two-thirds. So even if the Democrats had a majority in the Senate, it would still be extremely difficult to remove him. So that's what's least likely going to happen. Now, him resigning, I mean, it's probably doubtful, but I can see that happening before removal. And the reason is, is because, I mean, on one hand, so he has a huge ego, but at the end of the day, he also is going to want to do things on his terms. And so I think depending on what comes out between now and the trial, especially since that looks like it's going to be delayed, it's hard to know what's going to happen in that interim. And there, and I could see potentially a situation where Trump has his back against the wall. Like there may be some more things that come out that he feels that resignation might help him to walk away on his own terms. And then there's him making it to the 2020 election still in the White House, which if that happens, I do think he'll be reelected 
I don't think it's going to be necessarily because his base is going to feel stronger about him because I think that they feel pretty maximally strong about him. I do see that there are maybe small cracks in the armor, especially where you have Christianity Today, the Christian Post. Um, you have some other people, like some publications that are more like conservative Christian that are speaking out against him. It's not going to sway a huge amount of people. I think it's going to be minimal, but I think that there are, it's starting to kind of show a little bit of the cracks in the armor there. And, and I think that that could be a wild card. Uh, I think the, the real wild card is going to be the people that didn't vote for him in 2016, looking at the, at this whole impeachment fiasco, thinking to themselves, wait a minute, this isn't right. And then going and voting for him in 2020 out of spite. I disagree with the idea that there's a bunch of people that are like that. And the reason why I say that is because, I mean, I think that, I mean, you and I probably differ as far as how we look at, at the impeachment process. I mean, personally, I think there, there's enough there that that could have happened sooner. I mean, here's the thing. The impeachment process could have included more people that spoke out for Trump, but those people chose not to speak up and they chose not to testify. And if they choose not to testify on behalf of Trump, then that's not the Democrats' problem. You know, especially with the White House discouraging people from testifying that are in their camp. So under those circumstances, it went as well as it could have. I don't think it was a fiasco. But I think the question is, what now? I didn't see anything in terms of the numbers that suggest that impeachment has made the president significantly more popular. It seems like a lot of the, you know, the feelings about the president have been relatively unchanged. Like the people who were for impeachment before are still for impeachment and removal. And the people who, who are against the whole process are still against it. So I think that that's stable for the most part. What I think is going to be interesting is like kind of what's going to motivate people going forward to vote depending on who the Democratic nominee is, what Trump does going forward. One way or another, I still think that Trump wins, is going to be reelected going away. Now, one other thing about that. So kind of going back to the different scenarios about what happens to Trump before November. So let's say that some kind of way before November, he is removed from office. He resigns. He's removed. Whatever the case might be. Okay. Now, one thing that a lot of people don't understand is that, and, and this is on both sides, okay? If Trump leaves office before the end of his term, it's not like the Democrats get that position, right? Like that means that Mike Pence, who's the vice president, will become the president. Correct. So let's say that Mike Pence becomes president because of Trump being, you know, leaving office before the end of his term. Let's say November happens and Pence is president instead of Trump. Do you think that Pence will be elected to his own term or do you think he'll end up like Gerald Ford? And for reference, Gerald Ford was the vice president under Richard Nixon when he resigned in 1974. When Ford was in office, he served out the end of Nixon's term, but he was never elected to his own term. He was defeated in 1976 by Jimmy Carter. In that scenario, I, I think that 
whoever the Democrat candidate is, I think they would end up winning. I think that Mike Pence is far less popular than Donald Trump is. And he's done a, a lot more unpopular things uh, when he was in, uh, serving as the governor of Indiana. The only th- the big thing that people remember Mike Pence for was, was the, the camps in Indiana. Was the what? The, the gay camps. The, the, the re-education camps. Okay. I think that Donald Trump has his own energy. There are a lot of people who are supportive of Trump, maybe more so than, say, the Republican Party. They may still be conservative, obviously, right? But there's something about Trump, especially what he, like his rhetoric kind of speaks to in people. Mike Pence doesn't really have that. Like he's definitely conservative. He's an evangelical, but um, he started to become unpopular in his own state of Indiana when he was governor. And if he hadn't become vice president, he may have had a chance of being defeated in the gubernatorial elections in Indiana. So, yeah, I would agree that Pence, and I mean, Pence has done a lot of things. I mean, you know, you mentioned the, like the, the re-education camps for LGBTQ people. And then there's also, um, like, a, like I've talked about in, in previous episodes, the HIV epidemic in Scott County and in his unwillingness to fund the environmental cleanup efforts in East Chicago. So, I mean, there's a lot of different issues that Pence had when he was governor. And I think if he's having a hard time with that, then I think it's hard to envision him being reelected to, say, his own term of office. And largely, you know, the other thing that that hurts Pence is he just got he's just kind of as vice president. He's just kind of there. As opposed to Donald Trump has this big personality. Or Obama that had this big personality to him. Or, yeah. or, or even going all the way back to Bill Clinton, big personality. I think that likability is a, a big thing for a president to be elected. And you, know, you have to be visible, you have to be out there. But you kind of have to have that it factor along with that, you know, that, that they all had. I'd have to agree with that. And it's something that I think a lot of political scientists tend to lament. The idea that personality and charisma matter so much in elections, but they do. They have for a long time, especially with the different types of media that have evolved over the last several decades. It's hard to say for a lot of us that like Trump is likable, but the thing is, is that he does tap into something for people in a real way. Even if it's anger, he taps into that. And that is meaningful to people. I, I think that with Donald Trump, I mean, I mean less likability and more personality. I think that it's the kind of thing that I think more people tune into his Twitter to see what he's going to say next, as opposed to enjoying seeing his tweets. It's the same thing that Howard Stern did back when he first started to get big on radio. The majority of people that listened, listened because they wanted to hear what stupid thing he was going to say next because they couldn't believe it. Coming from that reality TV background, too, is like that's why people tune into reality TV a lot of times is it's not necessarily because they think it's real. It's because of the personalities that tend to shine or tend to be amplified. I mean, even like when when Trump was doing The Apprentice, you're fired. I mean, that was something that people got into. You make a really good point there. 
Are you ready for 2020? About as ready as I'm going to be. Just a quick reminder that Pastor Podcast will be on a break in the month of January, but I'll be back with new episodes in early February, and we're going to keep going strong throughout the primaries and the general election season. So stay tuned for that. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For Flying Machine patrons at the $5 level or above, there will be a January Patreon bonus episode, so be sure to look out for that. And if you're not a patron, go to flymachine.network support to learn more. And even though I'm taking a break from new episodes right now, I'll still be around, so to speak. So feel free to tweet me in the interim at PotStirCast on Twitter or join the Potstir Podcast Facebook group. Thank you very much, Chuckles, for joining me. And thank you for having me. And to all of you listening, thank you so much for listening to Potstir Podcast. Please know that I'm grateful for each and every one of you taking the time to listen. Whether this is the first episode you've listened to, if you've listened throughout the year, or if you've been here since the early days, you are what make this labor of love, which it has always been since the beginning, worth doing. Have a safe and happy new year. I'm Jay Poole. Let's fight for America's future because freedom is not free. I give you the incredible flying machine.